Well, hey, everybody. It's good to be together. I love being with my mountain peeps, and welcome. If you're new around here, my name is Ben. I'm so glad you're with us. Can we just uh, do what we like to do sometimes, and that is just give a special greeting and welcome to everyone at all of our campuses. Make everybody feel welcome. So Aberdeen, Abingdon, we love you. Welcome. Edgewood Mountain Road. A lot of people online joining us. So glad you're with us. Really, really glad. Um, life, life can be hard sometimes. Uh, Jesus even taught, you know, that uh, in this world you will have trouble. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Anybody had one of those kind of weeks even? And, you know, the last, the last kind of couple of years have given us lots uh, to work through, to struggle with, haven't, haven't they? And, um, you know, when it comes to discouragement, to disappointment, to life being difficult... We humans, we tend to have like kind of three go-to strategies for coping or dealing, don't we? One option is despair. Despair is where you you just kind of give up. You, you, you You still want the thing you really want. You still have longings, but you just don't think they'll ever come true. So you kind of just still want it, but don't believe it'll ever happen. And you can't live long in the state of despair. Another option for humans like us is, is what someone might call resignation, where, where I just shrug and say, oh, well, I don't really care. I, I try to convince myself that I don't really want my heart's desires. No, I didn't. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I just, we just, just go on and just get used to it. Well, there's a third option. There's a third way. A third way when life is discouraging, when it's difficult, when bad things happen, when it's hard. The third way is hope. (laughs) And hope is where you still allow yourself to want and to long. And even though you don't have it in your hands at the moment, and even though, even though you can't quite see it fully yet in this moment, you still believe it is coming one day. That's hope. That's what hope is. And you allow yourself to keep longing for it. Now, there's a, there's a blind kind of hope that's just kind of a silly, like, naive, shallow optimism. Like, oh, I just I can't bear the thought of things not going well, so I just thought, I think everything's going to be rosy and fine. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about Christian hope, we're talking about banking your hope strongly in the strong name of God. Where you realize that your hope is only as strong as the object you attach it to. If you lash your boat to a rickety dock, the storm comes, you'll both float away. But when you anchor your hope, not in another human or a circumstance or a system or a government or a country or your well-being or success or your ability to control things, when you put your hope in God, now you have an immovable, unshakable thing that cannot be shaken or taken. And friends, that's the hope that we've been talking about over recent weeks. It's a hope that says, I, I, I get discouraged. I got plenty of stuff I should be all upset about right now. I'm not immune to bad stuff happening in my life. Well, look at there. See, I'm, 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 bad things are happening all over the place. But this kind of hope says, 
No, I, I got all these reasons, but none of that erases my hope because I believe in a Jesus who brought sight to the blind and he made lame men walk and he healed lepers. I believe in a Jesus who brought love to the loveless and hope to the hopeless. I believe in a Jesus who died on a cross and went in a tomb and it looked dark and bleak and discouraging for three days, but on that third day, he ran out of that grave. And that's the Jesus I believe in and that's the Jesus I anchor my hope in. And in that moment, for not just him, but light overcame darkness and good overcame evil and love overcame hate and life overcame death in the power of Jesus because when Jesus rose, friends, hope rose and it's still rising. That's the centerpiece of our faith that we have this fallback, foundational, ultimate, can't-be-shaken, immovable hope, and there is only one source of that, and his name is Jesus. And I hope you have that hope. So do a gut check for yourself today. Like, how's your level of hope? And whatever your level of hope might be, can I just invite you to to not worry about where it is right now and just hear the words of Scripture from Romans 15. Let this prayer be God speaking to you. Can I just pray this over you? May the God of hope fill you. May the God of hope fill you with his peace and with his joy as you trust in him, the anchor of our hope, so that you may Overflow with hope yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill you with hope, not just so you can have it or hold it and enjoy it, but so you can overflow onto someone or something else. Does that make sense? You've got to be filled with hope yourself if you're a follower of Christ. You can't share what you don't have. But it's not just to have or to hold. It's, it's to bring hope to others. And friends, we are in the hope distribution business. That is what we do. Because all of us as human beings are like hope junkies. We need our fix. You need a hope fix? You need a hope buzz? Of course you do. Everybody needs one to survive. We're all addicted to hope. We need it. We crave it. But sometimes we can't get enough. So guess what? Jesus is an eternal supplier who has an endless supply of hope. The church is a big old warehouse. That's what mountain is. And you are a runner. That's what you are. Not a drug runner, but a hope dealer in the distribution business because God wants to use you to bring hope to somebody. He didn't just want to fill you with his hope. He wants to fill someone else with it and he wants to use you as a dealer. So that's why we've been talking in recent weeks about this series called Hope Rising. It's a way of acknowledging that in light of all the cruddy and frustrating things that have been going on all around us, God is on the move in our midst. And we've been counting off some of those ways. I hope you had a chance to hear us just celebrate some of those things about what God did in 2021 last year around this place. Some of these things that we celebrate about hope rising are big and, and grand and visible, like 220,000 people watching over 4 million minutes of mountain content on Mountain Online last year and, and launching a new campus that stands just beautifully and visibly in the Aberdeen community now with over... 400 new people coming through there in one year and, and 
Student ministry quadrupling and 50 baptisms and a quarter of a million pounds of food being given away at the epicenter. There's some big and visible ways we love to celebrate and we need to. And then you also just got to realize there's lots of invisible kind of behind the scenes ways. You know, we, we have a staff meeting every week and um, once in a while we get everyone together and we just pass the mic and we just say, where have you seen God at work? And man, that mic just gets passed around. We have to cut it off because people just want to say, yay, God, here's what happens. And there's stories that you and I, we would never hear. God's at work all the time and you don't know, but lives are being changed and hearts are coming open and families are getting better and people are being baptized and joining groups and finding community and stepping into leadership and making such beautiful impact for Christ. Hope is rising. And so in light of that, we just want to say around here, this is beautiful and it's meant to overflow. So fill me with your hope and teach me how to be a hope bringer. Well, hope bringers, by now, some of you have been around a few weeks um, and you've been listening to, to some of the things that hope bringers do. Let me just ask you, as we kind of review, what's the first thing that hope bringers do? If you want to bring hope, what's the first thing? Let me hear someone from the house here say it. You say it at home and all the campuses too. Ready? What do hope bringers do? First thing? First thing, there you go, someone got it. Hope bringers pray. And we need to be a praying people. Hope bringers pray for people who need hope. We pray for for people. This is the last time we're going to do this, but once again, at your seat, at any of our campuses, I'm going to ask you to take that card out, that little white card, every one of us. Just take that card. I don't care who you are. Grab that card, and you're going to fold it in half, tear it in half like this. If you're at home, just grab something you can write on. And you're going to take a pen, and we're simply going to let God bring to mind the names of people who need his hope. And you know who they are. They might be really close to you, but they might be far from God or far from his hope. You can write the same names you've written other weeks or brand new names. As we're just talking in the next few minutes, I'm going to invite you just to continue to write those names. We've, there's been about 13,000 names turned in so far over recent weeks. Maybe there's someone that you know that you'd like all of us to be praying for as well as you pray for them, that you can pray specifically with the words of Ephesians 1.18. That you could just pray, you know, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Of God. You know, someone who just, you just wish their eyes would be open to God and His hope. Write their name. You're going to take that card and just, you're going to pray specifically. We're going to make a commitment to pray for as many names as you write one name, three names, seven names. Between now and Easter, especially. Pray for hope for someone that you know is not ready for their last day of life. They're not ready. Remember the five-finger exercise that will help us? I'm going to review it one last time to kind of think of some of the names that maybe God has in mind. You look at your hand and you see the thumb, which is a reminder of those who are closest to you, your family and your friends that are your immediate core circle. Some of them might go on your list. The next one is that, that next tier out. It's the people in our sort of, you, you have immediate contact with them maybe every week or so at work or in the neighborhood or on the team or at the club where you work out. And the middle finger, well, that reminds us of people that we think of when we think of our middle finger. You know, they're people that we don't even like, but God's put them in our life for some reason, and there they are. And they are people who also need hope, 
and Jesus invites us to pray for them. And then this finger is kind of weak, and it's a reminder that there are people we know who are going through a rough time, a weak time. Maybe they've lost their way, lost a job, lost some friends or some money. Maybe they're getting old or sick, and it's just a time when you know they're, they're weakened in their state. Some names maybe would come to mind. And then this last little finger, this short one, reminds us of people in our life that we know who've fallen short. They messed up somehow. They're maybe made out of moral problem or a failure in some way that was visible or maybe known only to you, but people who mess up sometimes are more open to hope than anybody. Friends, pray. When we pray, heaven moves, strongholds break. God's heart intervenes, power is unleashed. We pray because prayer changes things and then prayer changes us. So pray, pray, pray. At the end of the service, you can just drop one of these. If you're at one of our campuses, drop it in the bowls. Kirk reminded us how in heaven in Revelation 5, we see the leaders holding up these bowls representing the prayers of the people before God. And we're just gonna put these prayers in bowls to remind us like, God, will you just do something here? Will you do something with the lives and the hearts of the people that we care enough about to put on these cards. Put that card where you'll see it and it'll remind us to pray. And all you have to do is call their name before God. God, could you bring hope to Bob and to Renee? Hope bringers, pray for people who need hope. People who want to bring hope, they also, you know what they do? They invite boldly. They invite boldly for people who need hope because as we know, man, invitations change your life, your path. I mean, a lot of us end up where we are in life because someone invited us to different things, right? And so this is, this is such a big deal. There are people in your life who are literally one invitation away from a big change in their life. So when you got something great, you know, you, you, you discover a great restaurant, you, um, you love a new series on Netflix, you're talking about it with your friends, right? You're, you're all the time, we're like, oh man, you gotta try the crab cakes over there, they're to die for, or the, you know, you, you, this thing, we laughed all the way through that stupid show, you should really just watch a few episodes, see if you like it. Friends, this is, this is what needs to happen. If you have the hope of God in your, in your life, it's not gonna be something that you keep to yourself. Like that woman at the well, that had messed up with all those men and, and Jesus gave her another chance and he gave her hope and she run, what did she do? He immediately she runs back to her village and she invites boldly and this whole sort of revolution breaks out in her family and her friends and her little community. Why? Because one person invited boldly and just said, as John 4 says, she just said, well, you just come and see. Check it out. You really gotta watch this. You gotta see this. You gotta taste and see. And I wonder what it would look like at Mountain if we got as excited about sharing the hope of Christ as we did about a Netflix show or a favorite restaurant. Invite boldly. Just, there's a time and a place. So you pray, you invite, and then third, you know what hope bringers do? We talked last week about how hope bringers love people by listening. It's hard to know how to love someone, but one of the easiest and most important gifts you can give someone is the gift of love by listening. Because everybody has a story. Very few people have someone who will listen to it. Or they have very few people who will. And that's why Jesus was such a great listener. So we're encouraged to get out our stethoscope. Get out our stethoscope and listen to the hearts of people. So these are some ways that we can be bringers of hope. That we can, that we can make a difference. And we've talked about this 
bungee cord. It's a great reminder, isn't it, that a bungee cord is not so useful when it's at rest. It's comfortable, but it's not very useful. But when is it most useful? When it is stretched. And you and I are the same way, and this one we're going to talk about today might stretch you a little bit. Here it is. Are you ready? Hope bringers eat with people who need hope. Is that what you thought I was going to say? (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. It's funny how some of these others sound pretty spiritual, don't they? Praying for someone sounds spiritual. Inviting them to church sounds spiritual. But eating? Let me ask you this. If doing what Jesus did is spiritual, then eating intentionally, where you open your table and your life and your time with someone is is one of the most spiritual things we can do. Make no mistake, if you pattern your life around Jesus, you're going to spend a lot of time loving and laughing and listening and lounging over a shared meal with people. Because that's what he did. If you want to bring hope to someone, sometimes the best place to start is by eating with them. And I want to challenge you to that. To gather around the table with someone. To invite someone to the table with you. It's a powerful act of hospitality and a welcome, isn't it? This fits right in with what's going on um, with our campus groups right now. Um, Some of you are in campus groups and you know you're studying the Gospel of Luke and we're realizing that in the Gospel of Luke, every time you turn around, Jesus is eating a meal with somebody else. Sometimes it's his friends. Sometimes it's his people he's just meeting for the first time. But he's always eating a meal. There's like 10 stories just in Luke where Jesus is sharing tables with someone. Because he knew that's where conversations happen. That's where stories get exchanged. What happens? I'm loving it right now. My daughter's at home, and, and every night we're eating dinner together. And it's awesome. And we, 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 we catch up, and we share stories. And eventually, over food, something begins to open up between our hearts, and we talk about things we never would have anywhere else. The phones are away, and values come out, and hurts come out, and laughter unifies, and sometimes tears are shared around a table. And so Jesus, no surprise, says the Son of Man, a reference to himself, came eating and drinking. Now his enemies used that against him. They said he was a glutton and a drunkard. That was the, best thing, the worst thing he could think of saying. Well, all he does is go around and eat with people all the time. But Jesus is like, yeah, that's what I do. Because every time you sit down over a table with someone, you're, you're giving them the dignity of friendship and time and say, can we just slow down from this crazy world? Can we just, the two of us, just kind of, the four of us, the seven of us, the 12 of the 75 of us, can we just stop and share some bread together? Can we just eat? Let's spend some time. While you're chewing on that and what you're going to do about that if you want to be like Jesus, let me remind you that one of the guys that Jesus brought hope to was named Matthew. Matthew. He's one of the ones who wrote a record of some of the things Jesus said. He heard some of it himself and wrote it down in one of the Gospels called Matthew. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the things that he heard Jesus say that he recorded for us, that actually no one else wrote down exactly the same way, is is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It goes like this. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. He was talking to people who were following him. This is plural. It's all y'all. All y'all are the light of the world. 
like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You can almost picture Jesus standing out there talking on the plane and pointing to the big city up on the prominent landscape behind him, glimmering in the sunlight with its buildings towering over the horizon, right? And he's like, you're going to try to hide that? You're going to try to just sort of like put a little blankie over that? No one will know it's there? You couldn't do that to a city, and you are like that when you have God's hope shining in you, Jesus teaches It'd be as ridiculous as trying to hide a city on a hill for you not to share the hope that is within you. Let your light shine before others. You are a light. And Matthew, no doubt, not he's recording that, but he's thinking about it. Like, what does that mean, to shine my light, to bring hope in that way, to be like a city on a hill? Let me ask you that same question that we've got to wrestle with that he had to wrestle with. What would it look like for you to shine the light of God on someone? What would that look like in your life? Because when you don't have full hope, you have darkness in certain parts of your thinking in your life. So what would it look like for you to shine light in that way to bring hope? Now, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination with me a little bit and kind of walk through what happened with Matthew. Because I think he starts thinking about this. And he's trying to think about a way to bring hope. And then, well, this is, he just tells his own story. In his own gospel. So this is like him telling, here's what happened to me. So pick it up now over in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Very matter of fact, he just happens to say dispassionately, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, this is, this is shocking stuff. It starts out with Jesus just coming by, and Matthew is where he is every day, sitting in his tax collector's booth. It's the only thing that, any, that we know about Matthew, and you get the feeling it's the only thing there is to this guy. Like, this is his life. His work defines him, and it certainly was true in those days. You probably know some of you about tax collectors and that culture, Right? You know how lowly they were thought of. It was very lucrative. It was a very, very great job for making a lot of money. There's no doubt about that. But it came at a great price, and the price was everybody hated your guts. You were considered a sinner, a traitor, a sellout. Because the Jews, you see, at that time, they lived under Roman occupation, and the Romans were not good landlords, so to speak. The Romans were tough, they were cruel, they were bullies, and they taxed the fire out of their people, just like crazy. And and they went and they got some of the Jews to go do their dirty work and tax the other Jewish people. So most Jews, you see, they wanted to see the Romans defeated. They wanted to see the Romans overthrown. They hated them. So if you turned around as a Jew and you were then an employee of the Roman government, getting paid by them, you weren't just a jerk. You were a blasphemer to the Jewish faith. You were a corrupt human being. And on top of that, what made it extra bad about tax collectors is everybody knew they didn't just get paid from the Romans. They overcharged everybody. And they gouged their own people for extra money. So you show up, you roll up in a Lexus that you got from stiffing your own people. You got a big boat and a nice house because every month you charge that old widow a few extra mites. So no wonder everybody hated them. And if you think about it, it's kind of a tough place to be if you're a tax collector. And that's where Matthew is. 
when it says he's in his tax collector's booth, that's what I think of. His pockets are full, but his life is pretty empty. Maybe you know somebody like that. Who kind of has most of the things that they want or seemingly wish they could get. They, they can. But there's something missing. There's a void. There's an empty place. Maybe that's you right now. It's a tough place to be when you can afford the gadgets and some of the toys and the cars and the vacations and the clothes, but you know you're missing so much. You got success without significance, and that's where Matthew is in his booth. And Jesus, now I bet I know that Jesus Jesus had been all over that place, so Matthew no doubt had had run-ins with Jesus, had heard Jesus, knew, was drawn to Jesus already, and Jesus comes by and the moment is right, and he sees his off-ramp, and he takes it. Jesus says, follow me, and he says, I will. He got up and he walked out of that tax collector's booth that day and he left everything to go follow Jesus. That's crazy. Now, Matthew doesn't mention a detail here, but Luke does. Maybe Matthew's being modest about himself, but Luke reminds us, he says, when he got up, he left everything. Think about that. Here's a guy who walked away from a cushy job, lots and lots and lots of money, to grab hold of the hope that he could find in Jesus. He may not have his full of bank account, but his heart is full of hope. That was his new priority. And so here he is thinking back, and he's thinking about the words of Jesus now after he starts following, and after a while he starts realizing, man, I've got to somehow find a way to share the hope. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he comes up with this crazy idea, if you imagine with me for a minute. He comes up with this crazy idea of throwing a party to invite Jesus and a bunch of his old friends. Um, I don't know how he came up with the idea, but after he follows Jesus for a while, maybe it's like this. Go with me here. He goes back, you know, he, he walked out of the office that day and he never went back. And so he goes back some night, you know, after hours, still has his key. He goes in and he's got a cardboard box just to pick up some of his stuff that he left. He could gather up, you know, pick up his laptop, his picture, his tax collector of the month award. Pick up a few things like that. He's putting things into his, his box. And as he starts to leave, kind of like literally heading off to his new life with Jesus, he looks back where he works and he sees the, the row of seats, maybe a bunch of cubicles or something where his fellow tax collectors work and he realizes in his mind, he sees, he sees their faces, all these guys he's worked with for maybe 5, 10, 15 years, who knows. I mean, these are guys that he, he worked with every day. These are guys he went to lunch with. These are guys he played fantasy football with and bet on chariot races and went out for drinks afterwards and played golf on the weekends. This, this is, these are his guys. And he realizes that when he walked away toward Jesus, out of that office, he left it all behind and he was leaving not just his job, but those friends. And it kind of hits him, these guys, these guys need the same kind of hope that I found. In fact, they need it really bad. They're still living the same kind of life that I was living. They're, they're still in, in spiritual darkness. 
They're still saying the stuff I used to say, like, well, I know God hates me, but at least I'm having a good time. But inside, feeling kind of empty. That's exactly where my buddies are, he says. And I've got to find a way to shine my light. So it starts overwhelming him, starts weighing on him in a certain way. And his buddies are missing out on the profound sense of hope that he has. The, the confidence he has that no matter how sinful he's been and how many people hated him and told him he was going to hell, that he had confidence in the forgiveness of God and being right with God and, and being included and invited to the table. And he can't hardly believe how exciting that is. And his buddies are missing out on all of that and an eternity with God. And he realizes there's a lot at stake. And he says, I can't imagine these guys that are sat at these cubicles not being with me. And he wants to bring hope. So that night, he, you know, he can't get it off his mind. He's maybe sitting in his recliner at home and his names start coming to mind. And he just starts praying, God, I pray, I just pray, I, I, will you just do something, God, somehow, will you help Zechariah, will you help Jonas and Lucius and Fred? I doubt Fred was a New Testament name, but will you help show me how to bring hope to them, you know? How can I shine my light? And it's like, that's when he gets this bolt of insight, you know, like, ah, I got it. I know what I'll do. I'll, I've always been great at, at, at throwing parties. Everybody says I'm great at it. I'm going to throw a party. And that's, he comes up with this idea. And I, I think he runs it by Jesus. And, and, and it seems to make sense because he explains, Jesus, I, I want to be with you and I, I still want to be with them. Could we just have a party where we kind of get everybody together and we'll, we'll have some food and, and, and I'm going to throw this party and, and I'll invite Jesus and I'll invite the disciples and I'll invite all my buddies and we'll serve some food and maybe conversations will start happening. And maybe it'll, it'll move intentionally to where some Jesus stuff will rub off on them and they'll see that I, I'm different but I'm, I'm still the the same, but I'm different. I'm, I'm better, and I have hope, and they could have hope, and maybe some spiritual flames will get lit that, that night in my living room as friends find hope of Jesus too. Maybe a party could work. Is this legal? Can I do this? Can you have a Christian cocktail party? He didn't know any of that. He runs it all by Jesus, and Jesus says something like, oh, if you're inviting your friends and you're inviting me, I like that idea very much, because the next thing you know, he's sitting there thinking about these friends. He's like, I gotta have this party. I don't know. Matthew runs off to BJ's and he gets a charcuterie board and some of those little weenies and the crock pot he gets out and plugs it in and get the cheese going and the little quiches and burgers on the grill and drink table. I don't know, do I use the, do I use the cups or do I just put the bottles out of water? I don't know. He does. He's thinking about all this stuff and he turns it over to his sister or somebody to take care of that because he's now thinking about the names that he's putting on his card. Oh, yeah, who do I need to know who needs hope? Yeah, He's got names. I don't know how many names he had. We don't really know exactly the number, but he wrote some names down. Let me ask you a question. Who would you put down on your invite list for that kind of party? People that are in your life. Maybe you've had to walk away from them in order to walk with God, but they're still in your life, and they know they need hope. If you could get them together with some Christian friends and some Jesus friends in, in case something good happened, who would that be? Write their names on that card of yours. Who is that? And the next thing you know, Matthew 9, chapter 10 says, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples. 
to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and others disreputable sinners. Do I need to unpack what disreputable sinners looks like to you? Are you starting to feel what kind of party this is? Okay, have you been at a party recently with a bunch of disreputable sinners? Those are different kind of parties. That's what this party is. Don't make this out to be like some church fellowship dinner. This is bikers, drug dealers, and rowdy crowds showing up. That's who's there, because that's his people. And they all show up, many of them, he says. And, and Matthew just steps back. He says, it's working. It's a party. It's working. His old friends are hanging out with Jesus. Can you kind of see it? Matthew's over there. You know, he's kind of just watching and observing what's going on. And there's Jesus over there by the drink table just telling some stories and listening to people. And eyes are lighting up. He's like, oh, this is really good. I know something good's happening here. He sees Peter over on the stairway, and he's got like a group of people. It's like Peter is kind of a blowhard. It's like, don't blow it, Peter. Don't say something stupid or put your foot in your mouth. This is important to me. Oh, there's John over there, and John's sitting on the couch with some friends over in the living room, and they're just talking about stuff. And he looks all the way around. There's James and all the other disciples, and they're all just having these conversations, and spiritual conversations are happening, and it's going good, and he just knows something good is going to come out of this. You ever heard, ever read in the paper uh, or have this happen to you where some kids had a party and then some people found out about it and showed up? Uninvited guests that can ruin a party in a hurry. Well, that's what happened uh, to, 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 to Matthew that night. Uninvited guests showed up. Maybe they heard the music or word traveled, but the religious heavies hear about what's going on. They're full of self-righteousness and rigid religion and the Pharisees and teachers of the law got wind and they rush over to Matthew's house. Now I promise you they've never been there before because he's a tax collector and a sinner and they really don't have any interest in Matthew but they do have an interest in Jesus and that's why they go. Because they would never go to a party like that because their understanding was that you would dissociate yourself and distance yourself from dirty people like that to avoid contamination so when they get there that night and they see what's going on and Jesus is sitting there laughing with a bunch of sinful people. They're trying to figure out if this guy's a legit rabbi or not. And they're disgusted. They're livid. Their veins are popping. Their tassels are flying. Their robes are flaring. And they're like, what? First healing on the Sabbath and now this. Verse 11 says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked, they don't have the guts to look Jesus in the face. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Why? Why would he eat a meal with them? These immoral, profane, unclean sinners, the dark, greedy hearts all around this room, why would you do it? And Jesus doesn't even let them answer. He steps in and basically says, you don't get it, do you? With all of your doctrinal brilliance and Bible knowledge, you don't know the heart of God. Verse 12, Jesus says this, you know, healthy people don't need a doctor. But sick people do. And that was the end of the discussion. And you can kind of see the Pharisees picking up their robes and embarrassed and angry, stomping out the door. Maybe that's when they started to plot to take this guy down. But if you keep imagining with me for a moment, maybe it's um, 1 a.m. and the party has died down. And people are, you know, bagging up some trash and doing the dishes. There's only a couple people left. It's not in the Bible, but I just picture this this way. Matthew walks Jesus out to the driveway. And he just says, man, thanks for coming tonight. 
I, I just feel like something important happened. I, I don't know, but I, I just feel like something happened to the unseen realm. And thanks for loving my friends. That was so great. You're really good with people, you know, if they just get to know you. And I know it was risky for you, and I'm sorry about those guys coming to yell at you. Wouldn't it be just like Jesus in that moment to put his armor on Matthew and say, oh, Matthew, man, thank you for inviting me. You know, anytime you've got friends together, I hope I'll be invited. I know some important things happened here as well. People moved. And that's important. And Matthew, I just got to say, I love your compassion. I love your compassion. I love your heart for people that you, you thought of the people you used to know and how much they need hope, and you determined not to turn your back on them because you couldn't bear the thought of them living for eternity without the love of the Father that we know. And Matthew, you know there's a lot of people who right now and in the future will claim to follow me but who really don't give a rip about the spiritual destiny of people around them. And I just love your heart and your compassion. Thank you. And you know what else, Matthew? I I love your courage because I know this was not easy. I know it was a hard thing. I know the stakes were high, and, but I love that you had the courage to recognize that the stakes were even higher for your friends. And that if something didn't happen where they got hope in their life. So thank you for your courage and going out on a limb, for your, for your compassion and for your courage. I just I want to applaud you and encourage you. That part's not in the Bible, but I believe it's exactly what the Bible teaches. And I think it's the call that each of us has on our lives, too. That Jesus would put his arm around us and just say, man, I just want to thank you for your compassion, for caring enough about people who don't know Jesus to want to bring them hope. And then he would put his arm around you and say, man, thank you for your courage. Your courage that leads you to pray faithfully and without reservation your courage that leads you to invite boldly, to listen with love, to throw a party and share a meal with someone. Because at the end of the day, Jesus tells stories about meals over and over again, and he says, you know what, ultimately my whole family is like a big feast. The whole kingdom of God is like a feast, and he says two things. He says, one, there's room at the table. There's room at the table for more. There's room at the table, and all are welcome. This is why I love what, when I hear things like what Amber and Rudy did. They're a young couple who didn't really know their neighbors very well, but they just started learning their names, and they started praying for them. They started figuring out, how is this diverse neighborhood ever going to connect? And they started realizing, food, we'll do food. And so they took their grill, and they put it out at the end of the driveway every Friday night. They invited everybody, and for the first four Fridays, it was just them and one other person or one other couple, and one time it was just them. But they kept inviting and putting their grill out at the end of the driveway on Friday nights, inviting everybody and praying for them. And, and then there was a breakthrough. And now, pretty much the whole neighborhood shows up every time they're in town. And they eat, and they, they laugh, and they share. And then conversations, after a few times of that, started to change. They started talking about more than the weather and sports. They started talking about life and kids and relationships and fears and 
finances and vacations and excitements and heartbreaks, and they started trading tools and helping each other and sharing, and they were becoming friends. You talk to Rudy and Amber, and they say, oh, you can just feel it. God's at work. They have hope about what's going to happen. He says it's a matter of time until Bob gets to know Jesus. And I believe that too. Even though I don't see it yet, I, I have that hope. I wonder what that would look like in your life if you would pray and invite and eat and listen with someone to that degree. You know, what we're going to do right now is we're going to close uh, this message and this series with a time of commissioning and a, a time of prayer and blessing. And I just hope what you'll do is we're going to sing a song in just a moment. I would just invite you at home, wherever you may be, at one of our campuses here in the house, would you just open your heart right now to a, to a sense of openness about how God might want to use you to be someone who brings hope to someone. We're going to sing a song together, and I love this song, and I think we, all, we love it here at Mountain because it just is a, it's like a prayer that says, God, if you want my heart, you got it. Here I am. Would you be willing to just pray that prayer as we sing this song in just a moment? Like, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you could just pray that prayer. God, here, here it is. Here's my life. You got it. Fill me with your hope. And give me a little bit that will overflow so I can be a hope bringer. I want to shine my light. I want to do like Matthew and care enough about people around me who are, you've put on my list. So we're going to have a time of commissioning. It's what Jesus does. He doesn't just give little platitudes and talk to us. He always gives us a job. He gives us a responsibility. He gives us a commissioning. So church, mountain, I give you a commissioning. Okay? I give you a commissioning. First of all, you're going to be commissioned as you sing these words, here I am, Lord. Take my heart. You're going to, you are being commissioned to pray. Like pray for real. Some of you are like still not committed to this. We've been talking about for five weeks. Will you pray with faithfulness? Pray with boldness. Pray with patience. Pray with intentionality. Pray with regularity. Pray, pray, pray because heaven moves. Pray between now and Easter for these names that God has placed on your heart and now they're on a card. Drop it in the bowl. Cake one home. Pray. You're being commissioned to that. You're also being commissioned, secondly, to invite boldly. Who is it that the time will come and you will know now's my moment to invite boldly? Invite them maybe to our next series. Invite them perhaps to a meal. Invite them to your small group if you have one. Invite them to whatever feels right, but open your home and your heart at the right time. You're being commissioned to that. And you're being commissioned to love someone by listening, to listen to their story, to open your ears more than your mouth, and to care enough to, to just love by listening. And then you're being commissioned to eat. <laughs> to eat with people and to be like Jesus by opening your table and your heart Maybe you're home. Maybe you will throw a party or pull up your grill or start something with workmates or lonely friends, but share hope by sharing food. You're being commissioned to that. As we sing, receive that commissioning and give your heart to the Lord, will you? Let's, uh, let's stand up together. Wherever you are, will you just stand and let's, let's sing this together as soon as we pray. God, we just ask you now, 
to give us your hope, fill us with hope. God, will you, will you make us so full of hope that we want to overflow and make it real enough that we would have the compassion to care for people and the, the courage to do something that would help us be a light and bring hope. We pray all of this in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.